sometimes I think I will actually visit Rwanda and not come back. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and Bradley Adams. Hello. Hello, mate. It's the next day. It is the next day. We've calmed down slightly. We recorded an entire podcast yesterday and then found out our recording platform had made Brad sound like a robot on a ski lift. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we have Hopefully calmed down. a bit more level-headed today. <laughs> there was some... <laughs> There were some angry True words. Things. Yeah. <laughs> not Very at, angry words. Not at each other, at the club, at the club. No, um, we, and, we, and, and, at the, and at, you know, sack the refs. And I think I think my, my favourite phrase from yesterday is I uttered something like, just sack all the refs and bring some Italian geezers in because they can't be worse. Yeah. Um, there's a There was a moment on the Arsenal Vision podcast recently, uh, the, the instant reaction where Clive said, Clive called Burnley the... Anglo-Saxon crap clodhoppers, which I just love. I absolutely love. I think it's brilliant. Um, yes, listen. Arsenal won, Burnley won at Turf Moor. Uh, pointless FC the Brexit versus, Arena at the Brexit Arena. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of. Well, we're going to have to have the conversation again, but we kind of covered it yesterday in terms of where we're at with this, and it kind of felt, and I feel the same again this morning. Um, just less angry that it feels like a indictment of where we are. Yeah, it's a it's a reality check, isn't it? That like, look, I know, um, everyone's going to be clamouring, or at least I'll list about like, and I've seen it on Twitter. You know, I don't know if you actually checked my Twitter feed after yesterday, but I had some in- interesting interactions with some absolutely clueless Arsenal fans. You're still annoyed about this. Brad mentioned this three times yesterday. <laughs> No, it's because people keep tweeting me. Like, they keep tweeting me. Like, I've stopped tweeting people back and they, like, keep tweeting at me. And I'm like, if you don't understand football and I've explained it to you, I can't do it again just because you don't want to understand. Like, and this is this is all about, like, the Granite Xhaka moment. And what I said was... If the man who knows football inside out... No, but as in... I'm not an idiot. I know a bit about football. One, just through trade craft, because we've, we're on like episode 54. So like we've our knowledge of tactics and football will have improved. But what I'm saying is, is this isn't hard to understand. Some listeners disagreeing currently. This isn't hard to yeah. understand that Bernd Leno shouldn't have played the ball to Granite Xhaka. Like, yeah. And I, all I said was that everyone is blaming only Granite Xhaka for this moment. And yes, Granite Xhaka was a fucking idiot with doing what he did. Like, and all praise aside from the last episode, and I still stand by that praise. I think he's been great for the last few games. Like, that was a brain dead moment. But, and everyone started like, and I, I genuinely, I got about like 15, 20 tweets in the space of like three minutes of people like, oh yeah, but City play out from the back. And I'm like, have you ever watched a City game? Edison goes long about 35, 40% of the time because there is like the short pass isn't on. Like, Playing out from the back doesn't mean you exclusively play out from the back. It means that that's your main effort to try and build up play. And Burn Leno has the entire picture in front of him. He can see that Xhaka's got a Burnley man up his arse, a Burnley man to his right and a Burnley man to his left. The 
only thing that would have gotten Granite out of that situation is taking the pass first time on his weaker foot, which is what he should have done. I'm just saying, all I said was, Burnt shouldn't have passed him the ball. He should have just lumped it. And then people just got so angry. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? You're fuming about this, Brad, aren't you? You won't, you won't let it go. Oh, it's just people don't understand. People don't understand ball, mate. People don't understand ball. Got a t-shirt. Pep Guardiola over here in his Arsenal top. Um, yeah, yeah, mate. I think, okay, so in terms of the the statement, it's an indictment of where we are, I just want to kind of expand on that slightly because I think yesterday was, uh, it was obviously painful and it was obviously uh, a difficult day to be an Arsenal fan. It sounds like there was a funeral or something, but you know, it was a really hard day. And I think the reason it was and the reason- Beating this, ourselves again. Yeah. And the reason this feels so upsetting is- there's two stats I kind of want to bring into this. Um, so we've had four in our four last away games. We had the David Luiz penalty in red against Wolves. We had the Cedric and Gabriel mix up against Villa. We had the Xhaka and Mari incident versus Leicester. And we had the Xhaka and Leno incident versus uh, uh, Burnley. Yesterday, uh, I think there was a stat that came out that was Granite Xhaka since the beginning of 2016-17 has made the most individual errors out of anyone in the Premier League with eight, leading to a goal. Since he signed. So listen, and you know, what do those mean? We can just we can rattle stats off all day, but I think what it means is we can sit here and try and blame the referees. We can sit here and try and blame um you know Burnley for the way they played, for the pitch they put out. We can sit here trying to, you know, look at, okay, but, you know, Arteta's making substitutions at the wrong time. All of these things, you know, we're tired, whatever it is, you know, no preseason. We can come up with a million scapegoats. And all of those, I actually think some of them, well, yeah, all of them actually have some kind of relevance and and have a part to play. But the ultimate thing here, the thing that goes across every single game, the thing that is consistent across every single what feels like Arsenal's season for the last 10, 15 years is there is a mentality at this club that means we beat ourselves. We beat ourselves and we accept mediocrity and we accept players doing that sort of stuff. I don't blame, I think I said this yesterday, I don't massively, um, well, as in I, I think the, the, the blame for the action is with Granite Jacker, of course, but blame and responsibility are different things. The responsibility is with this club for having this guy who has done this seven times before and you've done nothing about it. Exactly. So, you know, we we, we can't expect Leopards to change their spots. And I think what feels so frustrating about this game is it feels like such an indictment of where we are. Because this, you know, we we had this this game, which we started off brilliantly. Aubameyang will get into the game, of course. But, you know, Aubameyang setting us off on a, on a brilliant, um, with a brilliant start. We felt like we were in the game. Once we made that error, the whole tide of the game changed, and the whole and we started playing Burnley football. We started getting into scrappy second balls. We started getting into long balls. We started getting into you know duels and stuff that the Burnley wanted us to do. Get them getting free kicks further up the pitch. All that sort of stuff. And what's frustrating is a referee decision didn't go our way. A we didn't take our chances. And we and we didn't, and that 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 goal happened from Granite Jacket. If one of those three things doesn't happen, so if we get that referee decision, if we take one of our chances, or the Jacket thing doesn't happen, we win this game, and we're not talking about that. 
So it's frustrating because it's going, we're so close. These fine margins are so close. And I think that is the feeling, that is that is why this this defeat specifically and quite a few of these kind of... The, Even the though wolves, it's a draw. So, yes, I said that yesterday as well, didn't I? It feels like a defeat. It feels like a defeat. Um, this is why this defeat draw, let's call it a defeat draw, is so painful because it it doesn't feel like anything new we've we no. you know every game this season we've controlled the game sometimes not taken our chances a contentious decisions happened and we've not been the benef- benefactors of it and we've dropped points nothing has changed all we can do is focus on ourselves and like you say about fine margins in the last few minutes i don't know if it's i think it is the sabio shot that like clips the post and then the brilliant piece of uh, defending from Eric Peters. Um, either of those two moments just happen slightly differently and Arsenal are 2-1 up. And the whole narrative changes. And this is a completely different podcast. Yeah, and everyone goes, oh my God, how relieved are we that we managed to get through a game where the almost like the odds felt stacked against us. Uh, on the refereeing decision, I think we had a really great chat in the last episode. I re-listened to it yesterday and um i think that we there's not i I, we had a bit of a conversation yesterday when we recorded this about it i don't really see the points i think that we're just regurgitating the same ideas i think the one thing to say is var worked today in that eric peters moment like we got a brilliant shining example of what var can do it's nothing to do with var but we shouldn't have needed that handball decision to bail us out we should have been three up in the first 25, 30 minutes. And I worry because Saka was a bit off his game today. Uh, and I think that's a pure fitness reason and a burnout reason. He's played, he's, he's, you know, the second youngest player to reach 50 league appearances for Arsenal, but has played a ridiculous amount of minutes already this season, you know? And for me now, everything is in the Europa League basket. I think that these are the games where, one, we should be resting him. And two, we were just crying out for a second goal scorer. Like the whole game and, and coming back to the point of why this feels like a defeat. It feels like a defeat because we had so many opportunities to put this game to bed and we just didn't. We just yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. And and the fine margins are are so fine, and I think that is we cannot labour that point enough, in my opinion, especially around Arsenal, is that we are going to sit here as a fan base and we are going to hurt as a fan base over an inch, over what I always forget his name, Eric Peters, his shoulder. You know, this whole narrative changes because of one thing: we're so close, but we have to take responsibility for what we can do. Players will miss chances. There's not loads we can do about that apart from bringing better talent. Mm-hmm. We There's not loads we can do about VAR. We can try and lobby the, uh, lobby the government. We can players try and, will make mistakes. Players will make mistakes. But what we have to stop doing is consistently beating ourselves. And yeah, it's, it's in the manner of the draw in that, you know, we had 20 minutes in that second half without a shot. We were, in terms of our style, if you go back and watch, say, from like 50 minutes until about 75 or around where the substitutes come on, the structure in our attacking play is gone. We're, we're, 
we're we're playing into their hands in the same way that we did with Leicester, in the same way that we did with Spurs, in the same way that we did with Wolves, like the same way that we did with Villa and Wolves yeah. and all of these teams that after certain moments happen, we shut down. Yeah. And I think the the one difference that I I think that one of the reasons that this massively hurts for me is the the Leicester game, you know, the the three one, we've just beaten them felt like a mentality shift. We went one nil down to a stupid And mistake. the Benfica thing mid- midweek, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, and it felt like we'd almost, we'd had enough of, of the mentality of that, we, that we'd been displaying. And when, thing, when stupid shit like that happened, we stepped it up a gear in both of those games. So for the stupid thing to happen, you know, and whatever you think about it is whatever you think about it. We're not going to discuss it anymore. We then sat back and we got dragged into Burnley's game and we we did nothing. We did nothing in that second half, but sit deep. And I don't know whether that was instructions from Arteta. I don't think it was. Because I think if it was instructions from Arteta, we would have seen different substitutions quicker. Because, you know, uh, and we'll get on to the subs discussion later. But I just think like we were just slow and lethargic. And you made a point yesterday that some players out there were treating it almost like a training game. And I understand with like COVID ball or like the kind of situations around it that obviously. And as as an an actor, I kind of empathize in the sense that like you're so used to playing with an audience, playing with a crowd that that's got to get you going. And, you know, as an actor, I, I know how that feels and thinking about like if we, we for example for one of our third year shows just didn't have an audience and it was just being recorded that would have been well, massively well, some, someone someone did a brilliant analogy of this actually they said imagine doing eight shows a week and this is if you're not an actor hopefully you can kind of relate to this imagine doing eight shows a week of a, of a player whatever it is with no audience, but the exact same energy. So you have to keep up the exact same energy. If it's a really, you know, if there's loads of dance or singing or movement in the show, or whatever it is, imagine doing that show with no audience. It, because there is, there is it moments. Be draining. No, but there is moments in every show where the energy that you're getting uh, from the applause or even just from having that, those two, 300 bodies in the room. A reaction. The energy they're giving you kind of feeds the adrenaline that you have. And fi- like... And you're so used to, and again, you know, it's we're a football podcast. We probably shouldn't be rambling on about actor problems, but like we we, we do that performance in an audition room, in a, in a rehearsal room. We're used to not having an audience. Every show always has that moment when it steps up a level, when it has, when it does, when it you get the laughs, when you get them, you know, the the tears from the audience, and all of these things. And I think, mm. you know, is that when you're singing? But it's, of course, of course. But it's um, it's our jobs and it's their jobs as professionals to be up for it 100% of the time. As much as yeah. I agree it's a way more difficult job, Yeah, you've still got to do it. And, you know, looking at my notes, like David Luiz was so poor yesterday. He's got like the second highest rating on our... Uh, no, he's got the highest rating on our on who scored for our squad. And just poor taking seven, eight touches on the ball in the 92nd minute to try and find, like, he is a problem. And, you know, I don't want to talk about squad building. And I I feel like I say that sentence every episode because I I feel like we are just in a, 
in a place now where we need £150 million invested into this squad so we don't have to say that sentence. Because looking at the squad, Callum Chambers should be nowhere near our first 11. David Luiz should be nowhere near our first 11. Granit Xhaka should be nowhere near our first 11. Willian should be nowhere near our first 11. And in my opinion, Bernd Leno isn't good enough to be in the first 11 of a Champions League level team. That's five out of 11 players that I'm thinking aren't good enough to get us where we need to go. That's a problem. That is a real problem. And then even bench-wise, Sabayos isn't good enough. Lacazette isn't good enough. Um, El Nenny isn't good enough. Bellerin isn't good enough. So you're you're looking at having Holding, Martinelli, Gabriel Magalhaes, Matt Ryan and Pepe are the options off the bench when we're meant to have nine substitutes. There is just a massive issue, you know, and this is why for me, I think, especially this season is a write-off now. It's been a write-off for a long time and I think it's it's really, really difficult as a fan to go and completely disassociate and not care. But I just think that, that it's now at a point where if we don't get Champions League football through the league, there's no point getting Europa League football through the league. We just need to throw everything into the Europa League now. And I, I just, to kind of bring it full circle and kind of come back to like the game. We just in that 20 minute period lacked intensity and initiative and drive. And that massively comes from the players that are on the pitch rather than the manager, because, you know, you're seeing people with Mikel out our agendas all over Twitter if you genuinely believe that Mikel Arteta has coached his players to do that, you're a moron. Like, you are brain dead. Like, I'm sorry, but like, there's not like, just, just what's the point? Like, you're chatting pure shite because there is no way on God's green fucking earth that he's told Granit Xhaka to kick it into Chris Wood, that he's told David Luiz to take eight touches on the ball before laying it off. This is nothing to... Situations like this are nothing to do with the manager and everything to do with the playing staff. And that Listen, is the issue that we now have. Jacques the issue we've had right since Wenger left. Xhaka's not got a right foot as part of the problem. Yeah. We can sit here and um, and we should at times, I think, go through exactly what can be changed and what can be fixed. But we have to look at what we can control. There's a, you know, We can look at the, the Burnley pitch. We can look at our... Uh, the incidents of, of VAR, we can look at, you know, um, fixture lists, we can look at pre-seasons, all these things. I've got I've got a whole montage of the David Luiz moment, the Vardy on Mustafi moment, the high high foot from Walker, the Mane elbow incident, the Jorginho on Guendouzi, you know, Trent on, I think it's um, Nketiah. You could go on and on and on and on and on about decisions that aren't going our way, but what can we control? What we can control is taking how we play on the pitch and taking yeah. our chances and we've got to do that that's and that's and that's non-negotiable if we're talking about non-negotiables here that's non-negotiable okay let's get into the game then because uh, there's quite a lot to discuss so firstly um i just want to take some time to highlight some of arteta's tactics because i think he did some really good stuff uh against burnley so firstly in the personnel he chose so willian um there's a discussion obviously to be had around another attacker and maybe not having Willian on, but I do really understand why he had him for a number of reasons. Firstly, we probably thought Burnley were going to sit in a low block and uh, 
Pepe is just much better getting in behind, having space to run into. Willian's much better in tight spaces. That completely makes sense to me. Uh, there was some nice interchanging on that left-hand side with Tierney. Uh, Tierney doing some underlapping and overlapping. Willian was also dropping into midfield to create that kind of third man uh, in the midfield alongside Jacker and Party, which is really, really, really nice. Um, and it kind of just creates some more attacking triangles. Willian's almost like that spare man wherever we are. And in that first period, there's some really nice zones. Like if you just watch us, where everyone's really nicely spaced. Sounds really weird, but like it's a really um, important thing because then you make the ball travel, especially against a team like Burnley, who I think we thought we're probably going to sit in a low block and just try and defend all game, but actually came out and uh, push sort of 10, 15 yards up the pitch, and we're trying to get get in and at us. When you have players spread around, especially when you have players who have the technical quality in a club like Man City, to find each other at all times, if you make the ball do the work, that is going to benefit you so much. So I thought we did really well. Everyone was occupying their zones really well. There's a nice structure in our build-up. Um, also want to highlight Callum Chambers. Um, firstly, I thought he did well and got forward more than I expected with some nice deliveries, but also acting as that kind of third centre-back um, while Tierney pushed forward, uh, acting as a kind of third or fourth or fifth man in the attack or midfield, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I think uh, Chambers did really well and it was a nice a nice physical uh, height option, uh, well, height-based option for, for Arteta in that, in that, uh, that defence. So yeah, I thought tactically we got, we got a lot of stuff spot on. Um, I thought Erdegaard uh, had a good performance as well. We dominated the game for the first 35 minutes. The, the one issue that we had was we weren't taking those chances. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't think William was great today. I don't think he was poor. I think it was, it, it's the right decision in the sense of like what he does. Like you say, in and around those tight spaces, he's a bit better than Pepe. The only issue is, is like, I, th- I think when it comes to just having one goal scorer on the pitch, this game is kind of case in point as why it's an issue. And if we had maybe a left inside forward who played in a similar vein to Willian in the sense that they they were better in those tight spaces and wriggling out, but score, was more of a scorer rather than a creator, you know, that would have been kind of perfect for this game. The only issue is, is we didn't have that. Um, and so our kind of era of dominance in the first 30 minutes just wasn't fruitful enough to to get us through. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that because we did we did dominate and we, we looked good and it led to the goal. And the goal's a really nice, you know, kind of on-brand Arteta goals playing out from the back, really central. Uh, Leno plays it out to, um, I think it's Party who plays it into Jack, a nice little interchange, which which draws some attackers and leaves some space for Party to run into. Plays it into Willian. Willian has a nice little ball out to Aubameyang. And Aubameyang, again, has a nice little, um, similar to what he did against Leeds, you kind of expect him to open it up and stick it in the far left-hand corner of, well, the keeper's left. Uh, but he sort of puts it down inside, which I think... Uh, to the inside right of of Nick Pope, which I think is probably not what he expected and wasn't the best save. Um, so yeah, I mean, literally wasn't the best save. It went in, so you know. Um, but yeah, the um, yeah, I thought it was a, it was a nice bit of play. Also interesting at the end, Arteta congratulated Burned because I think there was a bit of pressure. Uh, Burnley had kind of settled into the game at that point and were pushing up just slightly further, and there was an option to go long, obviously. Um, but Leno didn't take it, and 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 it led to the goal. Um, whether that encouragement leads to the uh, incident later who knows but yeah I think it is really important to you know in the wake of a upsetting draw defeat 
I think it is always important to highlight what went well and that we had set up really well. Um, and then after the incident, how we shifted, how, how we became unrecognisable from that team. We were bunching ourselves together, sort of crowding each other. We were, we dropped back. We allowed Burnley to come onto us. The confidence went. There was a lot of balls given away, especially in the midfield by Party and 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 um, uh, and David Luiz a couple of times, as you mentioned. We just looked shaken after that incident, and you know we can. Let's discuss it very quickly. I'm not. I'm not particularly interested in it. It's it's poor from both Leno and Jacker, really, isn't it? We've said. Like, I, well, I mean, I said it earlier that I think it's poor from both. And Mari probably. He's the, a bit square. Yeah. You know, the only situation that would have gotten us out of that is if Xhaka takes it first time on his right foot, which he should have done. You know, but and he I think have a that right again, this this is the issue: is we we can talk about this moment all we want, but all we're going to do is end up in a in a conversation where we say, "Well, we need to buy another central midfielder." Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the only solution. So, <laughs> yeah, that is that, like because that is the only solution. As as good as Granite is at the things that he does. He should never be near a starting two. He should be a third or fourth man choice for a champion for a Champions League or Europa League midfield. He should never be automatically part of the double pivot. So the conversation is we need to buy a new central midfielder. That that solves the issue. You know, because I think at the end of the day, while I think that Leno is probably less at fault than Xhaka, because Xhaka is the one that makes the glaring mistake. Say, for example, if we had um, say for example that ball goes to Party, who's got a stronger right foot Party takes that first time and sends it to Louise and then it never happens but it's because it's Xhaka who doesn't have a right foot so again I think it's 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 kind of well and truly time to just say it was a mistake we know what we can do to fix it there's zero point talking about it until we actually yeah. fix it and we can go round and round and round and have the same conversation we've been having for you know three four years now about Xhaka and it's sort of pointless. Yeah, I completely agree. And 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 also and also to kind of answer, you know, I think it is that simple. It is as simple as we know what this guy does. We know what he can't do. We know he has these moments of madness from time to time. That's not acceptable. It's not going to get as you know challenging for the Premier League and the Champions League. That's it. <laughs> so yeah, um, and I thought after the incident happened, um, yeah, as I say, we just looked a lot more. We we looked rattled. We just looked shaken, and you know, you could almost feel the collective sigh i am um, a nervousness yeah set in. it's sort of the the um it's like the the sort of the what's the word like arsenal's official anthem it's just like you you feel like you're so close all the time. exasperation yeah um so yeah we kind of and again i think there's another stat that we're apart from is it west brom and fulham or west brom and someone else is someone down the bottom of the table might be sheffield we're the only club to have conceded as many goals from the 39th to the 45th minute in the, in the first minute, half. Yeah. And that's a concentration issue because um, that's not cool. Like it's not, that's not good. You should be, you should be solidifying your, your, what's the word? You should be, well, you should be kind of reinforcing what you're doing there. Just keeping it simple, getting through to half time. But we didn't do that. And we didn't, uh, and we paid the price, and um, that's a concentration issue, and that's something that we've got to we've got to look at, and something we said in the intro, we've got to stop beating ourselves. It's as simple as that. Um, came out second half, and again, I, I I kind of repeating ourselves here, but I did think we just played into Burnley ball 
Mm. And it was really, it's almost the polar opposite of what normally happens for me. Normally what happens is they've obviously got an absolute haranguing from Arteta at halftime. He's absolutely given them a bollocking, told them to go out and do what they need to do. And we normally come out of the blocks in the second half quite decent. And sometimes we finish the game quite poorly, where it was almost the opposite today, where for the first 25 minutes of the second half, we were non-existent. We had four shots, two were from Erdegaard and two were from Saka. Uh, And that was from them scoring to like the 65th or 70th minute. And I think one of them was maybe on target. And you're talking like, and then, then with the introduction of certain players that meant that we could exploit the way that Bernie were playing, we got back on top. But I, I don't know if it was a question of, I think it uh, maybe it's a question of 50% of the responsibility of the players to come out and just do what they're fucking told. And 50% that we didn't make a substitution until, for me, again, it's just a bit too late. Yeah. Yeah. The um, the pitch didn't help. Um, I thought... No, not at all. Surely, like I said this yesterday, but I genuinely thought there were regulations about how you have to keep a pitch maintained. Surely that's a thing. Because otherwise, like, why don't you just like fucking why doesn't everyone just do it why is it only grotty little brexit fc clubs that the only reason they're still in the premier league is because they've never tried to do anything inventive in their lives i do feel kind of you know after everything i said in the intro like you know saying oh the pitch wasn't very good like does feel a little bit but it was a factor and ultimately you could see the ball bumping around oh yeah and they know what they're doing they're going for those second balls they're trying to win those 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 scraps up the pitch i thought pablo mari dealt with them quite well um, he's got like a 75% win ratio. I think he's only lost against Man City when he's played. Um, he did pretty well kind of not winning those aerial duels. I think he did quite well um, and, and not getting sucked in. David Luiz got sucked in a little bit. but um, uh, And I thought Tierney had a quiet game. But I thought, yeah, I, I do want to just highlight the substitutes a little bit. Because I thought we lost something when Erdogan went off. Um, and, you know, potentially that's a, a freshness thing, trying to keep him fresh for Olympiacos. We've got three games in a week. I do understand that. But equally, I thought he, because we, from, I think we didn't have a shot for like a period of 20 minutes in the second half. And I think what that's down to is the lack of structure in our build up and, and the, the structure in the attacking third. Erdegaard provides us an out ball, he provides us angles, he provides us triangles in that final third. And we had so much space in that in that sort of central area um, just for such a long period of time when no one was, no one was filling it. Alba was out on the left. Williams out on the left. Saka's drifting to the right. And it's just this sort of empty chasm where no one is. Um, who came on for Odegaard? I can't remember. Lacazette. No, I don't think it was. Cause was it Lacazette? It was Lacazette. It was. Hang on. It was Lacazette. Lac- this is what I said yesterday. I think the issue with the substitutions was it was almost the right players to come on but the wrong players to come off at the wrong time. We should bringing on Lacazette as a centre forward is a good option. But the issue is, is you then need to have two kind of goal scoring inside forwards running off because Lacazette doesn't have the legs anymore. To he's not really a he's not really a poacher or a striker. What he is is he's a poor man's Firmino. Like he's going to try and bring people into the game and. We only had, again, at that point, for another five to ten minutes, we had one goal scorer on the pitch in Aubameyang. And then we lost the link between kind of party 
Because if you think if, if we're building through the midfield, you, you know, we're going from Leno to the back four, from the back four to the double pivot. And then there was no one between that double pivot and our centre forward. And there were, like you say, there was just this massive, massive chasm of space that nobody was filling. Erdegaard often picks up the kind of those wall passes from the the, the right hand side or the left hand side for the full back or the or the or the you know Sacco whoever's on the left. Um, but yeah, I just thought there was this huge space and Lacazette wasn't really filling it. And I I I think it's funny that I literally forgot that he came on for Erdegaard because I thought that that stru- that lack of structure came from Lacazette not being on. But clearly he just wasn't fulfilling the role because I just I remember just watching this huge space and going fucking Willian run <laughs> run into the space and link up, um, and then Pepe came on and changed think, the game. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that was the thing. We should have brought on Pepe at the same time we brought on Lacazette, and we should have taken off Saka and Willian for those two players. Mm. You know, we should have kept Erdegaard on. Um, and I think maybe if we have Smith Rowe at fitness and not still dealing with this injury, we 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 do. Who knows? But it was just the uh, Lacazette was the right decision to bring on if you're bringing on Pepe and if you're leaving on Erdegaard. But otherwise, there, there was there wasn't almost no point to the substitution because for most of it all he was doing was to try and build up play for that left hand side and then you know it was the same it's the same carbon copy rinse and repeat of we then just become way too reliant and dominant on that left hand side and have no goal scoring options on the right and it just it just leaves us it makes us like just predictable and toothless and and languid well, I actually, I thought, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, I think, you know, I think it's like six minutes later, he brings on Pepe. And I, and I thought Pepe changed the game and added something on that right-hand side. Um, he was, you know, he was picking up that ball again. Okay, slightly predictable in that he, you know, he's trying to drive inside. Uh, I thought Chambers doubled up with him really well at times. Um, but yeah, Pepe, I mean, well, he, he led to both of those, those, uh, those sort of penalty incidents. The first one being the handball um it's clearly a handball we don't need to look at look at that again yeah, you know 100%. i think there's only there's only the one argument stipulate is a handball there's only one argument that i've seen which is um about proximity but ultimately he impedes pepe getting past him with his hand that's what happens so i don't care you know and there's and in their literal own rules we read it out yesterday in the literal own rules it says it doesn't matter how close you are if you make your body unnaturally large to block off a lane and you and the ball hits your hand no matter how close the the person with the ball is to your hand because you have made your body unnaturally big and blocked off that opportunity it's a penalty like the the the, the thing is is they obviously would we've said this before um, uh, this is the last word on it they were obviously not going to come out and say it was a mistake, but you know it's bad when Peter Walton says that it should have been a penalty, when his literal job is to sit on BT Sports and say that the ref got it right. The official line is, it's a penalty if, or well, handball is if it touches the ball with their hand or arm when the hand or arm has made their body unnaturally bigger or the hand or arm is above or beyond their shoulder level unless the player deliberately plays the ball, which then touches their hand or arm. The above, uh, as in if Pepe deliberately smacked it into his hand. 
The above offences apply even if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the head or body, including the foot of another player who is close. So it's for me that's unequivocal. It's it's clearly it's Stonewall and it's Stonewall. It's listen. Stonewall. I, I honestly I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy to, to to have another rant about VAR and and talk about that. It's we've discussed it many many times about the accountability and the use of the technology. But yeah, let's move on. <laughs> it's a penalty. And again, this is the thing we discussed <clears throat> kind of in the intro is around the... We shouldn't need it to bail us out, though. We, sh- we should have taken our chances and we should have been, you, you know, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have Granite Jacker in our team still, you know, and we can talk and talk and talk, ultimately. All of these things. All, of, all these of these things, things exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I just felt as though we entered a kind of silly last 15 minutes. Um, a lot of chances. Pepe miscuing a, a, a tap-in. Well, not quite a tap-in, you know, there's a few defenders in front of him, but miscuing a really, really good chance. Um, Peters with the luckiest block of all time slash the best block of all time, depending on which way you look at it. Um, Sabayos hitting the post in this kind of pinball mad moment. And we drop points. And that's what happens when you don't take your chances. And as we've said already, the whole context of this game, the whole context of the season, considering, you know, we just won against you know, Leeds and got through in the Europa and just beat Leicester. If we beat Burnley, it's like, oh, you know, going to the going to the Europa League and say we win that game against Olympiacos. We think, oh, Arsenal are putting a run together here. But now it's, you know, same old Arsenal and, and whatever. And, we, and, you know, I think on this pod, we try and stay as balanced as possible. But it is really important, in my opinion, to, to say and that it's, it's like- just fine margins and we didn't put them away. And that's it. Yeah. And the issue, the issue is also the coverage of these things. Match of the day spent more time ridiculing Lacazette for the moment where he screams like he's been shot. Yeah, what by the an fuck SS, was that about? By an SS sniper. They spent more time ridiculing him than they did talking about the penalty incident. What the, what was that about? Like it's on their website as well. Yeah, and look, it's funny content because I agree. It, he's a fuck. Like, it- I don't know what. No, but I don't know why he's done that. Like why he's screaming like he's literally been hacked with a machete. I don't know. Like, and feel free to take the piss out of it, laugh at it, because at the end of the day, like, like, you have every right to, but there is a real issue in football at the moment when it comes to refereeing. Talk about the issue rather than just spending most of your time creating a screamometer and watching the same clip that... Like their job, and this this is what pisses me off about commentators, it's your job to keep fans informed. The only reason that a lot of fans aren't informed about football is they get most of their football opinions from commentators like Michael Owen, who say shit like they don't win when they hardly ever score. Or they hardly ever win when they don't score or stupid shit like that. This is what I mean. Or Jamie Redknapp going, oh, they should try and find a way to get in the top four. (laughs) Like... Really? Do you think so, mate? Good shout. It's, yeah, it's wild. Um, okay, anything else on the game, Brad? He's angry um, again. We've got him angry again. <laughs> no, I, I th- even though we've already said it, I just think, you know, Callum Chambers hasn't played a Premier League game since 2019, I think, December 2019 against Chelsea, and has come in and, I mean, he, he wasn't brilliant, but he was quite good, like, he put in, put in a decent defensive shift and I think, you know, credit where credit's due and a shout out where a shout out is due to not have played a, a game of professional football in for Arsenal in over 12 months. Like, 
what what is it like 15 months and to come in and put in a decent shift with a new manager that you've never played under before uh, with new players around you definitely like is great i think he did play under him december 2019 yeah i think he did play was it was he the was arteta the manager at that point I think he might because I I, th- no, I, th- I I seem think, to remember. Um, um, see, versus because I seem to remember Arteta quite liked him in that first. I could be wrong though. I could be chatting absolute bollocks. Yes, no, no, no. He did. He did. It was one of his first games in charge. It was his first home game in charge, and he picked him. Yeah, yeah. Two one. Yeah, because I remember Arteta picked him in the first couple of games, a, and it was a two-one loss to Chelsea, where Jorginho should have been sent off. And he quite likes he quite likes Chambers. Well, I think it's because having a marauding left back, you need a, a more defensive right back. And Chambers, but also you know, he's not bad. No, and he spent a whole season at Fulham playing as a defensive midfielder, so he's almost a perfect system player to play an inverted fullback role and push up kind of into that midfield. I just don't think he's got pace. He's just not fast. Well, you say that, but he got three. I remember watching him in an in in EFL Cup game against Nottingham Forest uh, live, and he got three assists for a five 0 win. And you know, he, I know it's Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup, but like, and I think this was a you know was this was this recent? That would have been twenty nineteen, late twenty nineteen. So it's pre injury. Yeah, but still, what, for what, for what a guy he, who's not for a guy who's nominally was it an ACL. Yeah, ACL. For a guy who's nominally a centre back, I, I, I don't hate him as an option. If he, you know, and he's also oh, he's oh, also definitely not. He's definitely also not. big and tall. He's like was he six two? And you know, we're talking about Nordi Mukieli the other episode. Like, who knows? He, if he, if he continues and, and stays in a good run of form, then I don't hate him. Right then, anything else on the game, Brad? No, nothing from me. We'll be back after this. Oh no, it's we'll see you. Okay. We'll see you. After this. <laughs> News and Views. What is it? Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Word perfect, Brad. Very good. Very good. We've had a lot of comments in. Nah, come on. What do you mean? Oh, oh, wait. Are you actually going to use that? I was just taking the piss. No, it was excellent. <laughs> you, we'll, we'll have that Fair one. Fair enough. We'll have let's, that one. Let's do it. Come on, then. We'll have it. Um... We've had quite a few comments in for News and Views, so we, we might have to get through them quite quickly. One of which, as I read out yesterday, is still my favourite, from Martin James, who says, Sometimes I think I will actually visit Rwanda and not come back. <laughs> <laughs> Big yeah. fan of that. Big fan of that. Um, we might have to get this, through these quite quickly. So, at Sav Sabs has said, that's fine, that's fine. With Arteta's continued inability to influence a game with his substitutions, is it time to question his ability, or lack thereof, to read a game? Also, when do we become a boring long ball team? Uh, no, I think he makes the right substitutions, just sometimes at the wrong times. Uh, so, I think it it's less about his ability to spot what's needed within a game. I think it's more a question about whether he is too stubborn to affect change quickly mm. enough. Uh, Eric John 42807717 says, we are not ruthless enough in these games. Uh, should have been 4-0 up. Whose fault is that? Player or manager? Because at times in the first half, it felt like a training game. A bit more urgency like in the last 10 minutes and surely this game would have been won. Thoughts? I just want to say on that, players' the, 
I completely agree. In terms of, there was one point uh, that I, and again, for some reason, players not trying really sticks out to me. So like, I remember Mustafi in that Leicester game, just, I, and we were chasing the game and I was pissed off. And in, in this one as well, Louise taking, you know, three, four, five, six touches in like the 93rd minute. And you're going, fucking get it in the box at that point. Um, and we had a discussion yesterday about principles. I think it's really important. Like Arteta clearly is a very principled, tactically astute coach, right? That There's no doubt about that. The guy clearly knows the game, right? But sometimes if you're, you have to look at the game state. And I understand, I think sometimes with young coaches, there's like a, a tendency to go, right, I can't dither from my, from my principles because what if they don't, think what if they think I don't believe in them actually and I'm just getting them to play for them for no reason or something you know or you know I need to you know really say this is the only way to play and you know kind of absolutely double down on them if you're at the 85th minute against Burnley and they're just scrapping time wasting trying to get yell trying to get you fired up or whatever I don't give a fuck about your principles I don't care to quote Bradley Adams like it just it's, yeah, yesterday that was, <laughs> I was fuming. It just doesn't matter. You've got to get the ball in the box. Yeah, and you've got to, you know, and you've got to be quick. And like, I think it, one thing that we don't do enough is look at how other teams beat teams. Spurs tore this lot apart, and Spurs have been in a very poor run of form, and they tore them apart by playing fast, quick passing, speedy football. So. When it came to the 60th minute and we weren't having any impact in the game, we should have put on Pepe and we should have put on Martinelli uh, and we should have just blitzed them for pace and just absolutely put on the afterburners. And, you know, when Pepe came on and it gave us that option, it's no surprise that we started to then dominate the game. Well, on that, at Van Guna one says, should we have started Pepe? Yes, but I think that that's, that's just... Um, hindsight's Hindsight's 2020 you know I was just saying I just think from now on we need to start a second goal scorer we we, and whether that's Pepe whether that's some we we do need a second person on the pitch who has an eye for goal and who has the knack for naturally scoring goals because if Aubameyang isn't firing and we play this lineup who is going to score the goals Saka is more of a creator Erdegaard is a creator Willian is a creator you know and if we had somebody like a Fabregas-esque who could chip in with some goals at centre midfield or Ramsey or Cazorla, you know, it wouldn't be that much of an issue. But the issue is, is we have one person on the pitch who has an eye for goal. And if they're not firing or they're doubled up on, which Burnley were doing a lot, we're not going to score. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's hindsight's twenty twenty that we needed to start him, but yeah. Well, I think in the game we probably thought we were going to have against Burnley and sat in a low block, Pepe wouldn't have flourished. But look at the game state. Bring him on at half time. Fuck your principles. Mm. Um, uh, Adam Stovold also said Pepe had to start today. He was the best player on the pitch against Leicester. What's his reward? The bench. If we're ever going to see him uh, get that uh, 22 league goals, then we have to play him against everyone or sell him. Good point. Uh, not buying a backup left back will probably cost us points at some point. I agree with you, Adam. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think he's kind of backing up again. He also said, you know, we have zero attacking threat unless Alba or Saka deliver. And I think it's true. We've got to be careful. Um, uh, Stephen Brockhausen says, lots of issues. Saka had a poor game. We made one big individual error, missed great openings. Party was not good beyond the opening 15 minutes, knocked off the ball at times. Passing was poor. The Lacazette sub puzzled me though. Surely needed to come on for Willian and move Alba left. Um, 
yeah, could have been an option. I, I would have preferred to keep Odegaard on the pitch, but I understand maybe it's a freshness issue. Who knows? Um, Probably prioritising the Europa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I think that's all All the views. We have had another email, Brad, from... Is it from um, the man, the myth, the legend? It's not quite or... from the man, the myth. It's from... No, I can't delete it. Oh, no, I've got it, I've got it. It's Jessica Haver. She wants to introduce herself, and she's a soldier in the US Army. She thanks God. She's, she, she says, about me, my hobbies, and my lifestyle. I'm a loving, honest, and caring person with a good sense of humour, and she wants to be our friend. Do you think this is somebody pranking us? She wants to be our friend, Brad. It could be. Imagine like, it's like do you think one this of our is mates. Like Danny. <laughs> Yeah, like it could be Danny, Danny. Or, or Alfie. Shout out Danny Natras. What a man. Um, what a man. Uh, also, if you're a Newcastle fan and you fancy a bit of yes, Newcastle content, yes. go and follow the Yorkshire Magpie on YouTube uh, and on Instagram, Twitter and stuff. Um, Nad, uh, Danny puts out videos. Top lad. Um, and yeah, up and coming creator. Uh, knows his shit. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Um, okay, just wanted to finish out the show uh, with some interesting comments from Arteta in the week. Mikel Arteta says Arsenal remain very far short of the standards he wants to reach, but believes his side have made clear progress in recent months, backed up by the win at Leicester last weekend. Very far, very, very far, he said when asked how to close, when asked how close Arsenal were to being in team... Fucking hell. I can read. I did go to school. Very far, very, very far, he said when asked how close Arsenal were to being a team in his image. <laughs> In fairness, this is, the, this is the Guardian. They've made this mistake. There's a still a lot to improve. A lot of quality to add. Much more efficient in decision-making. Much quicker to open situations up when advantages are there. Many situations to feel when advantages can be obtained. More control of games. More defensive actions in the opponent's half. Fewer giveaways in our own half. More clean sheets. More goals to score. More creativity. A lot to do. Just better at football, basically. Basically, get better at football. But what I think is interesting in that and kind of an interesting thing to, to kind of highlight from that. Obviously he talks about quality and I think he has talked in the past about personnel. He said to the Spanish media in the past about how he feels, you know, he's got basically five out of the 11 players that he wants for a first 11 and then he's going to need more than that. And some of that will change, you know, players will develop and grow and stuff, but he's clearly got a lot to do in the, um, in, uh, in the transfer market. But what's interesting for me in that specific uh, quote is the much more efficient in decision-making, much quicker to open situations up when advantages are there, many situations to feel when advantages can be obtained. That, for me, is so important. Go back and watch that game I said, and I think it's bang on the money. There's so many times when we had the numerical advantage, the qualitative advantage, and we don't take it. Granite Xhaka, and we talked a lot about negativity and you can go look at passing radars and stuff. And, you know, some of them look at you, look at them and you go, oh, they're passing forward. Fine. But if you're passing one yard in front of you and then most of them are going to the side or behind you, but all, you know, some of your passes are going forward and it makes you look decent on the passing sonar. Fine. Watch the game. Use the eye. There are so many situations where Granite Xhaka, less party, um, David Luiz, I would would involve Mari in this probably as well. I'd say Tierney at times when he's off off the pace. Chambers, you forgive, but Bellerin normally. Most of the team, Willian as well, where if there's two or three options, one is the elite cutting through pass that that would that would split the defense open, 
or just the progressive pass that breaks breaks the line slightly. If there's two or three options, they will always choose the safe option. Now, some of that may be confidence, or or so. Some of that may be quality, but I think a lot of that is confidence, and a lot of that is a team that doesn't necessarily believe that it's that it has the ability to do that. If you can see that you 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 have the options on, you're going right. I have this option and this option in your head. That's a split second decision, and your brain will often just take the safe route, the easiest route. In the same way, it sounds funny, but like. You know, in marketing, it's always like the the way things are marketed at you is it's, it's the easy option, the easiest way to buy a home, the easiest way to get shopping delivered to your house, the easiest way. Human brains are wired to do the easiest thing unless we train them not to. And I think for so long, we we have as a club and as and a culture been take the easy route, just play it back, play it safe. Don't try that ball because what happens if we play that ball and we lose and we lose, we're getting counterattacked and we can't deal with that. We need to build up the quality, of course, but with with that quality builds confidence. And with that confidence, it's like having you know the impact of Bruno. Not only does Bruno come in and make the team better, he makes everyone around him better, right? What does that mean? People around them know that if they play the pass into Bruno, he can control it and he he will have the ability to take that on the half turn or whatever it is players confidence spreads and and kind of quality allows that confidence to spread even more and i think not only do we need to improve kind of personnel wise but that confidence and that ability to when we have those advantages take those advantages look at those situations and go yes that is what we can do we have the ability to do that i think is 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 so important mm, i think it also is a question of mentality as well whatever you think about bruno as a player or whatever if he's in a place, in a position where he thinks that he can do something with the ball, he asks for the ball, then you decide to turn around and pass it back to the goalkeeper. He'll, pro- I, he'll probably rip your fucking head off. You know, there were reports coming out that he had a massive bust up with Harry Maguire, who is the captain of Man United Football Club. Right, again, rightly or wrongly, because I think he's an absolute fucking fridge. But, you know... That takes ball. That takes balls, and I think that is. It's the Alexis Sanchez. It's the. It's that kind of like dogged mentality who will get f- fucking frustrated with you and angry at you when you don't do what you should be doing. That in effect is actually easy to do, and I think that. There is, and again, I think that's why you know we coined the phrase mentality merchants about some of these players. We do just need one or two. We, I mean, we need five or six additions when it comes to quality, but we need one or two additions when it comes to mentality and like grit and desire and people that will tear your fucking limbs off if you're not up to scratch and if you're doing stupid shit. Because at the end of the day, if Hector Bellerin starts coming up to me and having a go at me, I just go, well, mate, you can't fucking pass a ball. So... <laughs> But do you know what I mean? As in Bruno yeah, has yeah, the quality, yeah, yeah. so can have the mentality to go, step your fucking shit up. Yeah. Play that we pass need, when it's on. We need to get a few players have on, that shot uh, when it's on with that kind of ethos that also have the level of quality to back up. Because, I mean, Bruno is not the best central attacking midfielder in the world. Kevin De Bruyne is. Kevin De Bruyne with the ball at his feet, you know, is phenomenal. He's having a slow season this season, but no player in the Premier League has underperformed their XG by so much than Kevin De Bruyne. Like he's he's a he's a phenomenal midfielder. What Bruno has is mentality. I mean, he's got quality, 
but most of Bruno's game is just pure and utter fight and like trying and like actually he he does remind me a bit of Alexis Sanchez in his early Arsenal days when he'd get dispossessed like or lose the ball 20 times in a match but no one gave a shit because he was actually doing mm. things mm. I think we just need a little bit more of that more passion yeah no I totally agree and I, I just more passion in the football club <laughs> get them all out none of them care uh okay to finish off as we always do Brad remember always. uh we were asked the we, question. We never or, forget. We never forget this. We definitely didn't forget this yesterday. Uh, the question asked was, what is the name of the dude who plays Gunnosaurus? Do you have the answer, Brad? Well, actually, you asked me, so maybe I should give you the answer, but I do have the answer here, yep. so it feels unfair. What's the, what's the answer? Do you, do you have the answer? No. <laughs> you don't know the name of the guy who plays Gunnosaurus? What's wrong with you? The they name, sacked him, didn't they? They did sack him. He is called Jerry Kwai. Q. Quai, Q-U-I. No, Q-U-Y. I can read. I did go to school, I promise. Um, so that's, How many times have you said that now, mate? Uh, probably too many. Uh, he who doth protest and all that. Uh, so if you got that right, right very well done. Uh, and the next question is, why did the original Woolwich Arsenal call themselves Dial Square? Why did the original Woolwich Arsenal call themselves Dial Square? We'll reveal the answer on the next podcast. Have a think. If but we're we learning. Remember. We're learning all together. We're learning Arsenal trivia. And that's fun. Right then, diff knockers. I'm not gonna call you that. I, I, I wanted to call I wanted to start calling them the knockers, but it just it's a bit it's a bit it's cringe, a bit isn't too. it? It's a bit yeah. naff. It's a bit it's a bit Burnley, isn't it? That's what that is. Yeah. Um <laughs> Apologies if you're from Love Burnley. Bert. I love the Burnley slander. Yeah, Fuck I just Burnley, mate. Fuck yeah, them. I just don't really like them Fuck mainly because they beat bastards. us, right? Uh, okay, Brad. Pleasure I mean, as always. We drew, but fine. <laughs> no, we lost. Pleasure as always. I've said that a million times. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.